Grace Church, it's great to have you here this morning. My name is Justin Ross. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Church. And uh, we have been talking about this idea of unity and the importance of unity. And uh, we have talked about how unity is so important in so many areas of our lives, in our marriages, in our churches. It's, it's important in our businesses. It's important in how we raise our children. Unity is so critical in so many areas of our lives. Unity is important in our country to be unified. When we're a unified church, we win. We win when we're unified. Even King Solomon, the one who wrote the book on wisdom, had a lot to say about the importance of unity. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to start with a little object lesson. Alright? To kind of put some smiles on your faces. Let's start with something a little fun. A little object lesson. Can I get someone to volunteer this morning? Alright? Alright, Kaylin. Thanks. Yeah, come on. Let's get Kaylin. Yeah. Alright, Kaylin. Alright, sucker. Alright, this is Kaylin Bates. And uh, you're a pretty strong guy, yeah? Uh, you see those guns, man? about unity. He said, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Alright? So, what I wanted to do, Caleb, is uh, this stick right here, I'm not going to hit you with it, okay? Uh, this stick right here, is you and me. It's an example of who we are when we stand alone. Alright? So, you're going to have to use your strength and I want you to break that thing. Let's see if you can do it, alright? Come on, base. Uh, boom! Alright. Alright. Really simple. When you stand alone, you break. When you stand alone, you break. Solomon also said, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. All right? Let me just do this. Uh, uh, can you do it twice in a row? <laughs> All right. All right, base. One more time. Break this. That's you when you stand alone. Okay? When you stand alone, you can be attacked and defeated. Solomon went on to say, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. When you stand alone, you break. When you stand alone, you break, but when we're united, we win. We can overcome so much more when we stand together, and I know you're strong. Alright? You've proven this reality. Can you break this? Alright? All right. Go ahead and use your head. Hold on to say that if you break it, you're going to totally ruin my object lesson. <laughs> I've, been a little, I've been nervous about this all weekend. Alright? Yeah. Are you Ah! Alright, let's get 
together, it's harder to be broken. Okay? We can help one another. We can support one another. We can pull one another up when we've fallen. For some reason in this religious culture we live in, there's this mindset of perfection. Like you, If you mess up, if you stumble, and if you fall, we usually just look at you while you're down. And we walk away, or maybe we kick you while you're down. Gosh, to be unified is to help one another up, is to stand together so that we can be stronger together. We need one another. We need each other. When we're united, we win. Before Jesus was killed on the cross, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the Mount of Olives, and he went into this garden to pray. And Luke, the physician, he, he wrote that Jesus was praying so passionately, so, uh, so uh, fierce were his prayers that sweat was pouring down his head like giant drops of blood. What was Jesus praying? What was he communicating to God? What was so heavy on the heart of Jesus Christ before his death? And John, one of Jesus' closest friends, he recorded some of the things that Jesus prayed in his letter that he wrote called the Gospel of John. And it's found in John chapter 17. And I want to encourage you, read the whole chapter on your own. Read it for yourself. It's incredible. Read it for yourself. But Jesus, in John chapter 17, before he was about to face this brutal death, he's praying passionately and very just fierce. He was praying for you. He was thinking about you. Can, can we just let that sink in for just a moment? He was thinking about you as he was praying, as before he was going to face this horrible death. Jesus was about to die in a very brutal way, uh, brutal way, rather, not beautiful, brutal. Okay, you got that? Yet he didn't pray for his own comfort. He didn't pray for his own safety. He was thinking about you. Now, this goes against everything in me. If it was me and I was facing the same situation, I would be praying for safety. I would be praying that the nails wouldn't hurt that bad. I would be praying that God would make a way for me to escape and, and to get out of this situation, the last thing that I would be thinking about would be you, okay? All right? I just gave you a little glimpse into my black heart, okay? Don't judge me. I would not be thinking about you if I was facing this brutal death. And you would probably be similar. I don't want us to read over this without considering the weight of it without considering how selfless Jesus Christ is. His love for you is crazy big. His love for you is so big that my feeble attempts at trying to describe it are laughable at best. Perfection took all of humanity's imperfection and he was crushed by the weight of it. Jesus was crushed by our brokenness. All of humanity's brokenness was put on the back of Jesus Christ and he was crushed by it. To the point of death, he died by it. But death didn't win. Death didn't win because he and the Father are one. Unity won. Unity was victorious. Knowing 
that Jesus was going to be crushed by our brokenness, he still took the time to pray for you and to pray for me. And that's what makes the name of Jesus Christ so beautiful. That's what makes so his name so amazing. That's why we worship Jesus, because our sin was great, but his love for us was greater. And I want to, this morning, I want to call a little time out. Because I think sometimes we just pass over things so quickly. We don't take some moments to just really reflect and to let it soak in a little bit. And I want to call a time out so we can feel this moment a little bit deeper. I don't want us to move past this without a little reflection on how awesome Jesus Christ is. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song and it's called What a Beautiful Name. And I want this selfless act of Jesus to sink in this morning. Jesus, facing death, he took the time to pray for you and his love for you is so great. And the name of Jesus is so beautiful, it's so wonderful, so powerful because of what he did. He proved his love. He brought heaven down. He took our brokenness. He has no rival. He has no equal. Yours is the kingdom, Jesus. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. And so I'm going to ask this church, I'm going to ask us to stand this morning. And we're going to sing this incredibly powerful song called What a Beautiful Name. And I pray that the words to this song bless you greatly this morning. Let's all stand and sing this song together. Gosh, that was, that was good. We're going to read verses 20 and 21 in John chapter 17. And this is what was recorded by the Apostle John. And this is what he said that, that Jesus prayed in the garden in John 17, verses 20 and 21, he says, I am praying, this is Jesus talking, I am praying not only for these disciples, those that were standing around him, those that were with him in the garden, but also for all who will ever believe. That's us, that's you and me. He's praying for us. I'm praying for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they, that's us again, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they, that's us again, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Last week, I, I gave us some practical steps that we could take to help us move forward when it comes to unity, to help us be one in our church, in our marriages, and as parents, even on the athletic field. To help us be unified. And so I want to quickly review those steps that we talked about last week. And first of all, we, we need to make sure that we have shared vision. We need to make sure that our, our futures look similar. Are we going the same direction? Are we on the same path? Does, does our future look similar? And do we share the same values? Think about your marriage. Think about your work. Think about church. Think about your team. Without shared vision, the house begins to divide. So once your vision is clear, then you need to define reality. You need to know right where you're at, because in order to go where you want to go, you need to know where you are. You have to be real about this. You have to be honest about this. So you have to define reality. And throughout the whole process of becoming one, of being unified, we need to be praying and we need to be planning. Because it's not about being lucky, it's about being ready 
When those opportunities come, you've, you've been praying, you've been planning, and you're ready to step forward and take full advantage of the opportunities in front of you. So let me ask, are you prayed up? Are you planned up? And then the next step is the most critical that we talked about last week. Do you have the guts to move forward in faith? You've got to do what you've dreamt about. You, you have to do what you've prayed for, what you've planned to do. You need to put it into action because faith without works is dead. Dreams don't come to pass without taking action. We have to have the guts to go. We have to overcome the fear of failure. And we need to step out. Or to put it another way, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. So unity is the glue that holds a team together. Unity is critical to your marriage. As parents, unity is critical to this church. We, we, we've got to be unified. Unity is so critical. When we're united, we win. Unity is so important. It was the last words that Jesus prayed before his death. And let me just say, where there is division, there is defeat. And let me quickly remind us of some of the effects that come with division. With division, think about your marriage again. Think about the workplace. Think about a church that maybe you've been a part of that was a complete train wreck. With division comes higher levels of stress. Come on, you, you've experienced this. I've experienced some of those environments. It's, it's stressful. There's lack of focus. There's no progress. When you're divided, you don't enjoy what you're doing. Division is no fun. You're not having fun when you're divided. There's no joy in division. With division comes chaos, loss, and in some cases, even death. Death of a dream, death of a marriage, death of the mission. Now think of unity. Think of unity now. Jesus prayed that we will all be one just as he and the Father are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. When we're united, we win. Unity brings peace. Now, now think of those moments that you've been in where maybe it's a marriage where you, man, you're going the same direction and it's just blissful. It's awesome. Think about that church that ministered to you so greatly. Gosh, there was unity. Unity brings peace. With unity comes greatness. When we're united, our focus is clear. We find fulfillment. We find purpose. Unity is fun. When we're united... We know what we're doing, and we know why we're doing it. Unity brings life. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. It's pleasant. It's wonderful. So if unity is so good, why is there so much division in our marriages? Why is there so much division in our churches? Why is there so much division in the workplace? Listen to this. 80% of the American workforce, 80% of employees say that they find no fulfillment in their work. That's a travesty. I mean, people spend a lot of time at work. 
And people don't find purpose in their work. They don't share vision. They don't understand what they're doing or why they're doing it. And you know, that type of an environment in your marriage or in a church or in the workplace, it breeds division. So what's in the way of unity? I want to use the remaining time that we have together this morning to explore some of the main barriers that keep us from being united. And some of the biggest hurdles to unity can be summed up in three words, and those words are power, prestige, and position. Power can divide. Power can corrupt. Prestige can disconnect. It can segregate. And positions can be abused. And so... I want to look at how Jesus handled these three words of power, prestige, and position. How did he overcome these potential barriers to unity? Because Jesus shows us the way. And so let's look at Christ. In Matthew's letter that he wrote, uh, Jesus told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Not just some, but all power, all authority. I mean, what would you do if you had all power and all authority? <laughs> you know, right? Like, it would go to our heads so quick. Jesus had all power, all of it, all of it, all authority. And so how did he handle this power? Jesus had the power to crush his enemies, to control people, to make people do whatever he wanted them to do. He had all power, and instead of abusing that power, Jesus instead chose the path of meekness and mercy. He chose meekness. Meekness is power that is under control. That's what meekness is. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength that is under control. Jesus chose the path of mercy rather than the path of anger or hate or revenge. Jesus... He also took that power and he gave it away. He gave away authority to others. I mean, I'm standing here speaking as a pastor because Christ gave authority away. It's amazing. He gave his power away. He equipped his team. He, he let other people minister. Jesus empowered other people. He chose the path of meekness and mercy Instead of power. Think about prestige. If anyone had the right to brag, it was Jesus Christ. I mean, he came from heaven. He lived a perfect life. And not only that, he came back to life. I mean, seriously, how can we compete with stories like that? So how did he handle this fame? How did he handle this prestige? He chose the path of humility. Jesus, he gave others the credit. He made other people shine. If you have a big ego here this morning, okay, maybe you struggle with pride. Many of us do. You have a big ego. You're always fighting for that status, for fame. You're always, you don't care who you step on as long as you get to where you want to go. Unity is always going to be out of your reach. If you live in such a way, unity is going to be very difficult to find. Jesus, he was focused on the mission, and he didn't care who got the credit. 
He wasn't in it for the credit. He didn't care who got the credit. Don't let your ego get in the way of the mission. When you don't care who gets the credit, it's amazing what can be accomplished. It's about reaching the goal. It's about accomplishing the mission. Who cares? I mean, seriously, who cares who gets the credit? Jesus didn't let his position get in the way. You know, your ego, your pride, they're such powerful forces. So many conflicts could be resolved if people would just choose the path of humility. In the summer of 1986, two ships collided in the Black Sea off the coast of Russia. Hundreds of passengers died as they were hurled into the icy waters below. And news of the disaster was further darkened when an investigation revealed the cause of the accident. It wasn't a technology problem, you know, like radar. It wasn't thick fog. The cause of the accident was human ego, stubbornness, and pride. Each captain was aware of the other ship's presence nearby. Both could have steered clear. But according to news reports, neither captain wanted to give way to the other. Each was too proud to yield first, and by the time they came to their senses, it was too late. When you don't care who gets the credit, it's amazing what can be accomplished. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Sometimes we have to give up to go up. Another potential barrier to unity is how we handle our position. Think about your position as a husband, a father, a boss. Uh, think about your position as a teacher, wherever it may be. What did Jesus do with his, his position, and what was his position? He was God. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good position right there. He had all power. He was large and in charge, and he had the positional power to tell, actually, let's check that, scratch that. He had the positional power to make people do what he wanted them to do. He could have used his position to make demands. I mean, do you know who I am? You know, follow me. He could have used his, his position to manipulate, to abuse. But instead of using his position to control or manipulate or to force people to follow him, Jesus once again chose a different path, a more difficult path. He willingly took the position of a servant. He gave up his position to be a slave. He put the needs of others first. He listened to others. He helped others. He healed others. He fed others. He washed people's feet. Jesus took his positional power and he exchanged it for the position of a servant. Once again, not something I would do. Most likely not something you would do. The Apostle Paul put it this way as he was writing a letter while he was in prison. He says, though he, speaking of Jesus, was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. 
Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave. That's so incredible. What about you? I mean, would you trade your position to be a servant? Are you willing to use whatever power you may have, your, you know, your, your prestige? Are you willing to use your position to benefit others? Would you be willing to lay all that stuff down for the benefit of other people, for unity? Would you be willing to lay that down for the sake of being one? Instead of saying, hey, my position is more important than yours, or what I'm doing is, is, is better, or you would actually just kind of walk in like this into your church, into your marriage, into the workplace, and you say, whatever you need, I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. Gosh, church, we need a serving culture here. Service speaks loud. People will not be offended when you serve. They're not going to say, hey, stop serving. We need to serve. We need to be like Christ. I've asked Pastor Chris to come, and uh, he's actually going to share a modern-day example of someone who has done just this. An example of someone who gave up to go up. And uh, so Pastor Chris, if you come, and uh, he's going to share this story, so listen to him at this time. So it was about four years ago um, and I was really feeling the call of God on my life to do something different. I had been in youth ministry for the better part of about 12 years and I realized in my middle 30s as our third child came along that I started feeling like that gap between me and teenagers was getting wider and wider. Like I was getting older and older and they were getting younger and younger <laughs> and it just made youth ministry that much more difficult. And um, so I was feeling this burden to do something different, but to stay here at Grace Church and just allow God to use me in a different way. So I approached Justin kind of uh, in private. We had some private conversations about what that might look like, and he was gracious enough to me to say, Chris, let's explore this. Let's explore what it might look like for you to do something different. But he said, this is what needs to happen. This is the agreement. We have to find your successor because we want to make sure that Collision Student Ministries doesn't suffer. We want to keep it moving forward. So we have to find somebody that will be your successor, somebody that will replace you. And so at that time, um, we had been uh, we had been discipling with this really sharp young couple. Um, they had come into our church, and I actually got an opportunity to baptize both of them. We were the ones that got to introduce them into membership here at Grace Church. Um, and my wife and I were discipling with them. And it only took a few months for me to realize that Reelan and Megan Wood had a lot of potential beyond what they would have been realizing at that time. And so I had my eye on Reelan, um, man, before he even knew it. Like, he had this big old target on his back. He was in my crosshairs, and I was going after him because I knew I needed someone to replace me, and I knew that he had the potential to be able to do that. And so I had my eyes on Reelan before he even knew it. And so... Um, we're in the middle of this 21-day fast. Those of you who have been around Grace Church for four or five years or so, you remember about four years ago, a little over four years ago, we did a 21-day fast in January. And so we're in the midst of this 21-day fast, and I'm about 10 days in. And um, 
Breland comes into my office. He just drops in kind of unexpectedly. And, um, you know, I'm praying through this 21 days. I'm praying that my personal goal or my personal prayers I'm seeking the Lord is that he would reveal who he wants to replace me. And I already kind of knew that it was going to be real and Megan. I just didn't know how it was all going to play out. And I didn't know how I was going to approach them about asking them. And so that was my focus, because I knew that Reeland was one of those guys, he was working at a, di- a different job, and he was full-time there, and he was um, and he was growing, and he was um, kind of being recognized in a lot of different ways for his success. He had a position, he was getting promotion after promotion, they were giving him company vehicles, they were giving him ownership stake, they were giving him raises and all these things. He had a really good thing going at his previous job. And I just didn't know how I was going to approach asking him if he would be interested in being a youth pastor at Grace Church. So Reeland comes into my office just kind of unexpectedly. He drops into my office in the middle of this 21-day fast. He sits down at the chair in front of my desk, and he just looks at me with this, like, weightiness, like this intensity. Like, okay, I know something's up. So I ask Reeland, I'm like, hey, what's going on? And he, he looks at me and says, Chris, I know that God wants to use me for something more than he is right now. I know that he has a bigger plan for me, and I just want to know how I can be used. And I was thinking at that moment, like, no way this is happening. <laughs> like, my eyeballs, I'm sure, as he's telling me this, I'm sure my eyeballs got as big as half dollars, you know, because I was just shocked. Because this kind of coincidence doesn't really happen to people like me. And so he just walks in and he basically just offers himself up. And I knew that I was going to approach him. And I said, Reeland, I hear what you're saying, but I said, don't say what you're, don't, don't tell me this. Like, don't tell me this, because I don't want to take advantage of you or anything like that. He goes, man, I don't care. He goes, I know that God wants to use me to help grow this church. I know he has a bigger plan for me in the kingdom, and I want to be a part. I said, all right, man. I said, I warned you. And so I said, I laid it out. I said, listen, this is what's going on. Nobody else besides Pastor Justin knows this. I said, but I'm stepping down from youth ministry, and I need to find someone that will that will follow my footsteps, that will take over as I step away. And I said, I've had my eyes on you this whole time, and you didn't know it. Are you up for it? And he basically didn't even flinch. He's like, I'm in. Like, he just didn't even hesitate. And so I just think that's so cool because it shows that Someone like Reeland, who was on a fast track to a lot of success, probably a lot of financial success and security and power and position, he just said, you know what, God, I'm going to be available to you, and he walked away from it because he was willing to surrender to whatever God had for him. So I just wanted to share that story. I just think it's so cool that you look at this youth pastor in our church, and many of you have no idea how he got into the position that he did, and he got into this position because he said, here, my Lord, I'm willing I'm surrendered, and man, God's used it in some amazing ways. So, thank God for sharing very cool. I wanted to, to share that story with you because uh, actually tomorrow is, is Reland's two-year anniversary of being on staff here at Grace. Yeah. We thought it'd be cool, man, just to, um, Reland, if you could come up to just pray over him, and uh, gosh, it's, it's such a privilege and it's such an honor to be able to work alongside uh, the men and the women that I get to work alongside. It's, it's an incredible privilege. And Reeland is killing it. Uh, he's doing a great job. He does a lunch bunch Bible study on Wednesdays, and they've been seeing 25 plus, plus or minus uh, students there. Um, last, 
Wednesday for our middle school. We had over 25 middle school students coming, and uh, man, just a lot of students coming to hear about Christ, and, and the ministry's growing. Uh, but man, God has great plans for this for this man and his family, and so we would, we would just love to pray over Reland and Megan and their beautiful children. And uh, if you would, just join us in prayer at this time. Uh, Chris, would you pray? Father God, thank you so much for your servants who are surrendered. I thank you for realizing how that interaction I had with him four years ago or so, it changed my life. And I remember the specifics of it to this day, even though it wasn't a radical shift for me. I know for him it was huge, but it impacted me to see his surrender. And I thank you for his example. I thank you for his willingness to say, it's not about the money. It's not about the security or the position. It's about being used by Christ. And I thank you, God, that you've used him and you're using his story even now. There might be an individual in this, in this room today that uh, is considering what it might look like to just walk away from uh, security or from money or from uh, just comfort. And Father, I just pray that you would use real in this story um, to minister to others and to be an example to others. And and God, I want to pray for him and his future and his ministry. God, I uh, am just uh, so grateful for him and Megan and how they've impacted our church. And I want to pray that you bless the marriage and bless the family and the kids. And, um, God, just give them a great ministry experience as they follow you as they serve you with their lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, I would love to pray over that guy more, but I'm losing my voice. So, um, man, church, it's uh, really an honor and privilege to do the work of the Lord. And let me just remind us that it doesn't have to be in the position of a pastor or someone on staff. What you are, where you're at, right where you are, right where you are in your, in your workplace, at home, in the school, wherever it may be, you can serve the Lord. You can... You can influence people. You can help people grow closer to Christ. You can grow the kingdom of God right where you are. This morning, we're going to take communion. And uh, 